Good evening, Coast. All right, you still awake? The sun's still, still shining? Uh, I tried this out this morning, and I got some good laughs, so I'm going to try it one more time in case you weren't around this morning. Uh, I often, I, got, I walked into this morning and got some great compliments on my glasses, and I just want to give credit to my style icon, the Italian Andrew Renucci. This guy sets, sets the pace as far as fashion for me. Uh, he's actually wearing my glasses in the picture there. Uh, really great to be here with you, um, and um, good to see some people back from earlier gatherings in the day. Um, I live in San Francisco, California. have lived there for 21 years. I was a pastor in the Midwest of the United States, and in my mid-20s, uh, my wife Lisa and I felt a call to relocate our family from a cabin in the woods in Minnesota to inner city urban San Francisco. And so we raised our kids in a neighborhood uh, where uh, we bought an old crack house and fixed it up and went to work to try and figure out how to be good neighbors in a neighborhood of quite a bit of struggle, uh, violence, uh, a lot of drug activity, and a real disparity between wealth and poverty. Um, Our neighborhood, probably out of any place on the planet right now, is a study in contrast. Um, There are hundreds of people sleeping on the sidewalks of our neighborhood in tents because we have a housing shortage because a lot of tech workers move to town and they can afford the higher rent. Right now, a one-bedroom apartment is $3,650 a month on average, and a lot of people got displaced. Um, There's a young man who moved to my neighborhood a few years ago. Uh, Maybe some of you have heard of him. His name is Mark, just like me, but uh, last name Zuckerberg. And um, so he's decided to, um, to have his weekend place in a neighborhood that has historically been a very rough and violent neighborhood, but is sort of turning over. And so we have the wealth, literally the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest people on the planet and some of the poorest people in my country walking the same streets, living in the same neighborhood. So it's a very fascinating place. Uh, Lisa and I co-founded an organization called Reimagine, and simply put, we're passionate about helping uh, one another um, put the teachings of Christ into everyday life. How do we walk out what it means to live life with God in the way of Jesus? Some of what I'm going to be sharing tonight, uh, I've taken from a couple of resources that I've created. One's, uh, One's a book Lisa and I wrote together called Belonging and Becoming. Creating a thriving family culture. How do we how do we do this journey of following Jesus together that we the, with the people we live with and love? And um, uh, another resource that I'm really excited about that I've helped put together called the Ninefold Path, which is a experiential journey, learning journey for groups through the Beatitudes. And um, so, t- but tonight I want to talk about Jesus and the way of justice. Uh, f- about three years ago, maybe I think this news came, got to um, Australia, we had a series of very tragic um, police shootings in the United States. There was a, a young man named Michael Brown who was um, shot by the police as he was running away from them. And riots developed. In, in some of the poorest parts of our country, there's a lot of antagonism between uh, law enforcement and people of color. And so in so many U.S. cities, um, it kind of um, got people in touch with this, uh, this injustice and inequality that some people are treated a, a different way by law enforcement than others. Um, much like Australia, we have a disproportionate amount of people of color 
um, who are part of the criminal justice system. There, I, I've actually experienced this where, um, where um, I'm not profiled when I walk down the street. I'm seen as innocent, and my neighbor, who is a person of color, is stopped, uh, frisked, asked, uh, asked a lot of questions, handcuffed and put on the sidewalk um, because of racial profiling. And so this is part of why there was that churning. So I have a lot of friends who are what I would consider social justice Christians. And when I would scroll through Facebook, I would see lots of people um, like lamenting about the, these um, inequalities in our country and the injustice and the pain of, of um, violence against um, people of color. And one night at the dinner table... Uh, at the time, my daughter was in, at university, but um, living with us and at the dinner table, I commented on this whole thing that became Black Lives Matter. And I said something th- that was typical of a cranky middle-aged guy like me, right? I, and I was feeling a little bit uncomfortable about what was going on in the country. It was dividing people, what, we, what you think about these police shootings and things like that. And so... I wanted to relieve the pressure I felt inside by saying something dismissive about the whole thing. Like me, I know what's going on. And so at the dinner table, I said to my kids and my wife, I'm not going to post anything on Facebook about this Black Lives Matter thing because, you know, that's just slacktivism. Like saying what you think about this in front of other people and and not doing anything about it. And I want to not enter into this kind of dialogue with what's going on in our world. My daughter, Haley, called me on it. And uh, she said, Papa, if you've been given a voice and you have influence with other people, you need to use your voice to amplify the voices of the voiceless, to speak on behalf of those who suffer and struggle. You can't just stand along the sidelines as if you're not part of this whole thing we're about. And I'd encourage you tonight that there are things going on in our world and um, in, in your nation, in fact, that tend to be things that the media brings up as sort of tension points that we know about. What to do about refugees and, um, and about um, a Muslim and, and European descent relations. The situation with, um, with the indigenous First Nation, First Nation people of this country. And often these things provoke something in us and we want to make some declaration or whatever. And I just encourage you, when you start, if, if, you, if like me, you start to feel defensive about these things, like you've got to settle it. That might be a space in a life or an invitation from the Spirit to listen and go, why, why am I disturbed about this? What is God inviting me into about this situation? So um, Haley really was right. She was really, uh, God's Spirit was using her to like call me out. Um, but I wasn't satisfied with just being called out. So sitting at the dinner table that night, we could hear the helicopters circling above our house because we lived three blocks from the subway station and we knew that people were gathering for a rally that night, a Black Lives Matter rally. And so I said to Haley, well, I'll post something on Facebook if I have something firsthand to say about this. I'm not just going to retweet or repost other people's things. I want to meet the people involved, listen to what's going on, be present. And that's another thing uh, that's been a helpful posture for me is when those things are rising up in me, instead of just being a sec- getting my information secondhand, I say, I want to be firsthand on this. Let's, let's go to the scene. 
And so I invited the family to get up from the table in the middle of the meal and head to the subway station. And in our house, this is never done. My, my wife, Lisa, likes a clean kitchen. Everything's got to be put in the dishwasher. But we made an exception this one time. And so we head down to the subway station and we see hundreds of our neighbors gathered, mostly people of color. And there was a young man speaking like the prophet Jeremiah or Isaiah, actually quoting scripture, saying this, this situation in our country isn't what God wants. God longs for peace and for um, equality and for everyone to have a, a fair shake in life. And uh, my heart was really moved by that and, and a bit broken by that. And I realized that um, I'd like to think that I'm not a racist person or that, um, and that I'm, I'm on the right side of things. But when I thought about my closest relationships, most of the people that I'm closest to look like me, are of my same education level, my same social class. And if we want to see something, I realize if I, if I want to see a different and better world, the kind of world that Jesus called the kingdom of God, then there's got to be different people in my life. I need to make some new friends. And um, who's at our table at the most important celebrations of the year? And so that year we made a resolution that we, we wanted to expand the welcome at our table. And uh, we have a, a celebration in our country called um, Thanksgiving. Have you guys heard of this? And so that Thanksgiving... We invited, well, one, on Thursday we're thankful, and then there's the next day called Black Friday where we all go out and shop till we drop. So that's an interesting thing. But um, we invited some, some friends of ours who struggle with homelessness and, um, and, and have a different life experience to come share that Thanksgiving table with us. So it was a small step. Uh, it seemed like I was starting to pay attention to a theme going on in, in my life, and this played out over just a few months. One night I was watching, um, I think, reruns of Arrested Development on Netflix with, um, with my kids. And while we were watching, I heard gunshots outside. And um, this is not an extremely rare occurrence in the neighborhood that we live in. And sometimes you can't tell if it's fireworks or if it's gunshots. But I usually wait five minutes, and then um, when I hear the sirens... I go outside because I know that I'm not going to be out there alone with an armed gunman. And I apologize for like the weirdness of this. And I know we got gun problems in our country and, you know, and all of that. You don't have to tell me that. But um, I didn't hear the sirens that night. And the reason was that the police had been involved in those shootings, in, in this shooting. In fact, they were the ones who pulled the trigger. Um, in the newspaper the next morning, they, uh, the newspaper said that there was a young Guatemalan man named um, Amilcar Perez Lopez who had gotten into something with the police and ended up um, getting killed. The story said that he had pulled a knife on some police officers and to defend themselves, they shot him. But I walked around the block that morning and I asked my neighbors, uh, hey, uh, what happened? Because it was on the other side of the block. And um, person after person said, oh, yeah, we saw what happened last night. Um, two undercover officers who didn't identify themselves jumped on this young man. He got scared, went in between two cars, thought, and to protect his life, pulled out a kitchen knife. They pulled out their guns. When he saw the guns, he dropped his knife and turned to run. And they shot him six times in the back. 
The autopsy revealed the same thing. The police, uh, chief of police had to change his story three times. I went to a community meeting uh, uh, two days later. Whenever the police are involved in a shooting, there has to be a meeting like this. And person after person got up and said, what is going on in our community? Alex, uh, our Milcar Paris Lopez employer got up and he said, this makes no sense to me. This young man wasn't in a gang. He worked two jobs and sent the money home to his family in Guatemala. Um, Something is amiss in this whole situation. And that was the beginning of our family getting involved in caring about people who we were prox- like in geographic proximity to, but have been far away from in terms of our life experience. Um, at at uh, meetings in the next few weeks, we began to um, meet many of our neighbors who were people of color who had had similar experiences in their families with law enforcement. And it broke our hearts, because again, I'm never treated like that myself as a, as a dominant culture white male. Um, I was quickly invited by, um, by some local clergy to um, be part of a faith initiative to try and speak out and ask for justice to come to this situation. And I, I'm, I don't think of myself as an activist or whatever, but I was listening to the Spirit. And this time around, it seemed like this is what God's calling me into at this point. And our family was able to spend the next, um, the next couple of years uh, holding prayer meetings and public vigils, um, helping people remember and know the story of what had happened and working for justice to, to be done in this situation, that we need better police procedures, the police need to follow their protocols um, and, and th- so that less people are killed um, in this way. I would have to say that um, what has been going on in my life ever since I was a kid is layers and layers of me slowly discovering that my relationship with God also calls me into relationship with other human beings. And as human beings, we're not always quick to pick up on this. And um, there's a place in Isaiah 58 that illustrates this. That if, um, for, for advocates of compassion and justice as followers of Jesus, Isaiah 58, 1 to 12 is one of the key passages. And I'm just going to pull out a few things to note from this passage. Um, in it, it says, for, um, well, uh, a pro- the prophet is sent to a group of Hebrew people who are earnestly seeking after God. I think if they lived today, they would be in ardent worship. They were fasting that day, and they wanted to feel like God was close to them, that God was near to them. And um, the prophet is sent, and the prophet says, for day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then there's a promise. 
If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, your, your healing will quickly come, and, you will, and your night will become like the noonday. There's a lot going on in that passage. If I had to paraphrase it um, in, in the most succinct way, I would say what the prophet was sent to tell the Hebrew people was, is, if you want to feel close to God, then care about all the things that your creator cares about. You can't separate this. And this is why when Jesus was asked about the, the greatest commands, he said, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We cannot love our creator unless we also love what the creator has made, our brothers and sisters around the world. Jesus continued this theme in his teaching. And um, there's, a, there's a, a passage that I'm sure you're well familiar with from Matthew 25, where he tells a story about the sheep and the goats. And um, at, he gets to a point and in the story where the, goat, the sheep are put on the right side of the father, welcome in, and then, the, and then they say, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, needing clothes, sick, or in prison? Notice the echo back to Isaiah 58, the same sorts of themes there. When did we see you in th- those desperate circumstances? And um, the king says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. So a exercise that I find helpful, kind of a thought experiment, is to ask questions like, in, in the 21st century, in New South Wales, who are the least of these? The hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, lonely. And where are they and how would we connect with them? If Jesus was walking this planet you know, in March of 2019, in New South Wales, where, what, what are the neighborhoods he would be hanging out in? Who would be the people that he would be connecting with? So I, um, I didn't warn you about this ahead of time, but I'm going to take the chance now. I'm going to try and change the contract of this talk a little bit tonight. And um, I'm going to invite you to, to do the talk with me. So I'm going to, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to turn and t- talk to a couple other people. And then at another point during the talk, I'm going to invite you to stand up and take on some body postures. Would you be willing to try that with me? Just take a little bit of risk to do that. Can you give me a thumbs up if you'd be willing to? Right on. So let's get into it then. If whatever we do for the least of these, we've done t- to Jesus. Who are the least of these in New South Wales? And m- more broadly in the global south. Or another way to look at this is, where are the struggles and the, the challenges happening? Where's the struggle right, going on right now? Turn to one or two other people and bat around the first things that come up for you as you look at these questions. We'll take a couple of minutes to do this. Go ahead and turn and talk.
All right, let's, let's keep talking. Let's see if we can talk all together about this for uh, a minute. I'm curious, what are some of the things that came up as you were talking amongst yourselves about who the least of these might be in our time and place? What would you come up with or identify? The indigenous community. Mm-hmm. I kind of, uh, young, not just young men, but young married men and young men who are uh, struggling with um, mental stability and just divorce and yeah. all our, uh, young boys around the children's school, around the children's high school. Yeah. And they're struggling big time. They're depressed. Mm-hmm. So mental health issues, huge thing. Yep. What else? People struggling with unemployment or underemployment. Homelessness, mm-hmm. which is often associated with mental health issues, right? Domestic violence. Families in struggle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people mention, you know, when you get old, as you get older, you, become, you often become invisible. So there's some elderly among us maybe that uh, are, are lonely. Anything else come to mind? Yes. Yes, the homeless. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. So that starts to give us a picture of the kinds of people that Jesus was pointing us to in Matthew 28. That the way we love God, if we want to love, um, if, if the, um, whatever we do for the least of these, we're doing for Jesus. And um, that's an incredible invitation. One of the Beatitudes, the fourth one says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, for they will be filled. One of the interesting things about this um, text is um, that, that word. You see that I put the word justice there. You may have heard it as righteousness because it's often translated just as righteousness. And the problem with this is that in the, um, in the Greek language, um, in, the, in this text and many other of the gospel texts, when, when, um, uh, the, they don't have a word that means just righteousness. Um, whenever you see that, it means righteousness and justice. And so we've sort of been uh, distracted by by the the translation issues here. Um, In the original language, um, if you want to be right with God, it also suggests right relationship with others, you know, and and flowing with with, with God's desires for how we treat one another. My sense is that when we come into the world, a lot of us, uh, and we see the overwhelming problems that are in our world and in our society and these struggles, and they seem so big, our first tendency might be to think, what can be done about this? Try on this posture with me, right? Try, try it on. Who, the, the problems are so overwhelming, and we can feel small in the midst of those things. And into this sense of what can we do, Jesus says, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. You're, you are incredibly powerful beings who shape the world by your choices. And so you, you can make a difference. Let, let all people see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And this is an important corrective to, I think, a misunderstanding that is often in um, Christian circles where we only emphasize the fact that we're sinners. That's not the total truth about you. That's one aspect of it is that you're broken. But another part of you is that you're powerful. Psalm 8 says that you were made a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned with glory and honor. 
You're a powerful being, and you can use that power to, um, to support what God wants to do in this world, to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness or justice, uh, to use that power for good. So I want you to stand up with me for just a second. And I want you to go from that posture of what can be done, the problems are overwhelming, to a posture that's true to what scripture says about you. Put your hands like this. You're not making a fist. You're just making a posture that says, I'm a powerful being. Think Wonder Woman or Wakanda for some of you. And let's say this together, pray this together as a reminder that we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Let's read this together. Lord, lead us in the way of justice. I'll give you another chance because that wasn't super exuberant. Lead us in the way of justice. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Why are we here? The Lord's Prayer says to be about um, God's purposes. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And in the, um, for the rest of my talk, I want to focus on four things that we might do that will help us to really embrace God's invitation to us to be agents of God's healing work in the world. And so here's the first one. One step we can take is to pay attention to needs in our immediate surroundings. Most of us have somebody in our immediate life, somebody we live with or love or related to by blood or as a coworker or a friend who's experiencing struggle. Uh, very few families are immune to mental health issues, to ad- issues of addiction. And so a first step for us to joining in God's heart of compassion to, um, for others is to just look at our families and, say, and, and closest relationships and say, who's in struggle right now? And how can I um, join with God in caring for them? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, sometimes for me, it's a struggle to do that. Um, Sometimes it's actually easier to care about somebody I don't know, someone exotic who looks different than me, than to care for somebody who I'm related to by blood. I don't get any cool points for just caring about family, but if I go across a culture or uh, across an ocean to hang out with somebody who's different than me, I could sort of pat myself on the back with it. But it's one of the best opportunities that we have is to engage uh, with people in, in struggle closest to us. Uh, this is Lisa and I, and Lisa's adopted brother, who is someone who struggles with mental health and homelessness. And we, um, we're growing in our understanding of an obligation and a privilege that we have to as much as possible to walk with him. Maybe one of the reasons why it's hard, why we tend to pull away in the face of these things, is sometimes it's confusing to know how to help. And it's painful to give and not, um, not see immediate results. And I think the gospel invites us into the messiness of these relationships to figure out how to walk with and be a companion to those closest to us. Uh, a second step that we could take is to learn about global issues, needs, and struggles in our world. I know this uh, might sound like simple, but Netflix is actually a good place to start. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a documentary on there called um, Cowspiracy about how our level of beef consumption is related to global warming. There's, um, there's, uh, th- there's a documentary on there right now about um, sanitary health for, um, for females in the developing world and some, th- some things that are going on about that. There's documentaries about human trafficking. 
And I don't know about um, the people that you live with and love, but at my house on Friday night, very few of us want to watch a documentary about plastic in the ocean or global warming or human trafficking. But sometimes I'll say to my family, you guys, we, I think instead of watching just another comedy or feel-good uh, you know, English period drama tonight, what if we take a little bit of time and allow ourselves to mourn and sit with the pain of a broken world so that we can get educated enough to know how we might help with this? Make sense? So maybe like Friday night, pizza popcorn night, or Tuesday night, or sometime in the future, you would want to take a step. And I think this is a great opportunity with kids. Uh, we raised our kids with, um, with a lot of folks who kind of had the idea that the goal is to create a perfect, charmed experience for kids, where kids don't know about the hard realities of life. Well, eventually we're going to find out, and it's probably a lot smarter to say, how could I slowly and in age-appropriate ways introduce the aches of my, our world to our children so that we can figure out how to take steps to address those things? Our daughter was an amazing example of this. She'd hear about something happening in the world. Uh, we had a terrible storm and flooding in a city called New Orleans, and um, she knew that all these kids were going without school supplies, and she said, I want to do something about this. And as an 11-year-old, organized... Um, for 30 or 40 backpacks to be packed and sent down to New Orleans to help those kids. And so sometimes kids, our kids are leading the way on this. Um, a, a third step that we could take is to seek firsthand experiences with the diversity and the aches in our world. Um, it, this might be sort of just basic sociology, but generally human beings want to live with and hang out with people who look like them and are of the same social status. And we, we decide where to live based on that, where, where our kids go to school. And what that ends up doing is separating us from the pockets of greatest need in our culture and our society. And so we, um, as privileged people, we have to take extra steps to connect across those boundaries. Sometimes it means going to that other side of town or across the tracks or into the inner areas of, of Sydney for, for you all here um, to not just go to the big chain restaurant, but maybe to a small uh, restaurant um, that's run by uh, an immigrant family. Um, there's some, some really practical steps we could take to have firsthand experiences of difference. Um, we had something not quite as tragic as the, um, the New Zealand uh, massacre, but definitely something that disturbed folks in my community, uh, uh, in the Islamic community. Uh, when, um, when our current president banned people from seven Islamic countries from, from coming to the United States, I knew that it was going to be disturbing to a lot of my Islamic uh, neighbors. And so that Friday, I went down to the closest mosque to my house, and I sat through Friday prayers. And every time I go to this mosque, they, ask, they actually ask me to come up and speak after the, um, at the end of the service. They give me the microphone, and there I am with about 200 uh, Yemenis Uber drivers. And they're like, Mark, what do you got to say to us? You're our white dude friend with the goofy glasses. And, um, and I, I was able to say, hey, we're in this together. I'm sorry that our nation isn't, isn't caring, isn't making things feel safe for you, but we're all in this together, and with God's help, we're going we're gonna to move forward together. 
I think a really possible appropriate step right, to take right now is think about how your um, Muslim folks are feeling in New South Wales right now. And if you see someone who, who is wearing a hijab or identify, identifies as, um, as Islamic, to just say to them, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry about what happened just a few days ago. Or maybe even to go to a friendship day at a mosque to cross a, a boundary like that to connect. Um, I, sometimes if you can afford it, it's helpful to do a cross-cultural experience to travel a bit. And our families had a chance to do that. In, um, we, we, visit, we were able to visit an orphanage in, in Mexico. Um, I've had a chance over the last couple of years to develop relationships in the Aboriginal community in South Australia. Uh, this is Lisa and I with a group of our friends from Dusty Feet Mob, uh, some moms and daughters that dance to tell the story of Aboriginal cult, uh, uh, history in, Afri- in, in Australia. Um, and it's been a real learning journey for me to make friends with people whose experience of, of living in Australia has been quite different than um, most of my um, European descent friends. Uh, they did a welcome to country for us, and I got to eat um, kangaroo tail roasted over a fire. And uh, we got to spend a week doing a Christian retreat with a group of young Aboriginal friends. And on that retreat, I took them to Westfield Mall in Adelaide. And I said, let's walk around and um, try and look and look at people and remember that they're made in God's image and pray for God's blessing in their life. Some of the people on our retreat had a real hard time with this exercise. And um, when we got together, and this is a picture of us doing this, we got together to process afterwards. And a couple of them said, Mark, you don't understand. When I go to Westfield Mall, I get a really different response than you do. Um, people smile at you. They're friendly. They're excited to help you in a store. When, when, I, when they look at me, they're wondering, what does he want? If I get too friendly, they wonder, is he going to ask for money? Or what's he going to take from the store? And so it's hard for me. And they've shared with me some of the uh, difficult history for them. Not getting citizenship or even being considered a human being in the, on the land that they um, have lived on for, for at least 60,000 years. And what this uh, does to a person's sense of self to daily face sort of a sense of second class citizenship. And so how, uh, you know, I think as God's people, we're invited to figure out how to make repairs and see a future together that's more like the shalom that our creator desires. Um, I started to feel uh, uh, guilty when I was with my aboriginal friends because we did the same thing in my country. I wear this ring to remember that my people stole an entire continent, killed 50 million, 60 million buffalo, and performed genocide. And I live on land that, was, that, that my people took, my ancestors took. Uh, but uh, one of my friends from this picture here, when I, when I started talking about this and my lament about this, he said, Mark, you're not responsible for what has happened in the past. But now that you know what the, what's gone on and what the struggles are, we can join together and figure out how to create a different and better future together. And that truth would be the same for, um, for the, the many African-American uh, folks that were enslaved in our country and um, experienced these struggles as well. Uh, a fourth step we could take is to find creative ways to connect and serve. What's some first steps that we, uh, that we can take? And you may be already doing things that are doing that, or you know of people that are. Um, 
we found out a f- about a food distribution center close to our house, and our family got involved in that, and we met people very different than us um, just a block from our house. Um, uh, and, uh, I learned something very interesting about some of this a few years ago. Um, if you knew me better, you'd know that I'm a cheapskate, and I love finding things on the sidewalks and streets. I could, if I could show you my suitcase right now, I could show you several items of clothing that I found uh, by Bondi Beach. People seem to dump stuff out on the street there a lot. And um, so I, I love like that street, that street find. So I had these young friends come to visit me one time in San Francisco, and they're like, Mark, will you take us on a walk? And because um, they knew that I would find things as we walked along the city streets. And sure enough, we did some cool clothes, some great books to read, some toys for the youngest one, and even a bicycle for him. And it was like, wow. And then we found, we were walking by a bakery right when they were closing, and they had these amazing pizzas and all kinds of delicious um, pastries. And so I'm like, sweet. And we take that bag, and we're carrying our whole like, treasure chest back home. And my friend Jesse, the oldest boy in this picture, starts to see homeless people setting up for the night in the, alley, in the um, storefronts. And he says, hey, Mark, we, we've got this pizza here. We, and and we got people here who are hungry. And um, not so secretly, I'm like, hey, this is my find here. This is, we're going to go home and enjoy these pizzas of pizza ourselves. And so somewhat reluctantly, I said, yeah, sure. And, and he started going as a nine-year-old door to door in these doorways. And um, first being just a great friend and, and welcoming people. And then saying, would you like some pizza? We got some pizza here. So I learned something about God's compassion from a nine-year-old, and it's kind of locked into my head. So last year I was in Melbourne, and I was walking around one night, and there was a pastry shop, and they were putting out the donuts uh, afterwards, you know, by the, by the dumpsters. And I was like, I'm going to do a Jesse Prince here. That's his name. And I was able to walk around and, um, you know, redistribute some of that as well. Sometimes another step that might help with finding creative, practical ways would be uh, for those of us who live in places of privilege, something called child sponsorship. I'm an advocate for an organization called Compassion, and it's been really helpful for us to um, have a relationship with a child in the developing world. Um, and I've, I've visited uh, El Salvador where um, Yahira lives, and what we discovered in the process, I thought it was just about me sending the money. But, it's, um, but when I went into the homes of these children, they have precious places where they keep the letters that they've gotten from their sponsors. And so if you already do this, I would recommend making sure that you write those letters every six weeks because it really getting a letter from auntie or uncle really makes a huge difference. So I want to thank you for giving me a chance to um, talk tonight about something, this, this area of living life in the kingdom that I'm passionate about. I can imagine that some of the things that we had to touch on tonight, you started to feel a little bit of uncomfort, discomfort, or resistant about. And I maybe told you some things about steps that I've, uh, my family's taken that you're like, that's not a step that I would choose to take. I want to assure you that I didn't come here tonight to make you feel a sense of shame or a sense of should. What I hope you're hearing from me is a sense of invitation, that we really are, as beings made in God's image, powerful, shaping the world by our choices. 
and that we're being invited to join with God's big heart for all of creation and figure out how we can reach past difference and connect and together become God's community of shalom into the future. And interestingly, back to that Isaiah 58 passage, there's a place, you can look it up tonight when you get home, that says, as you care for those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and lonely, your healing will quickly appear. Sometimes we sort of think, I'm going to wait till like, I'm really blessed and feel abundant, and out of the excess, I will share. But according to that text, the, the loneliness that we feel, the, the lack of purpose that we sometimes struggle with, the way that we're going to experience healing from that is by joining, uh, joining the human race, joining all of creation, and learning to be in relationship with people across those differences of race and class and economics. So I want to leave you with a question tonight. What's a small change that you've, uh, to live justly and compassionately that you, you feel invited to make, but you haven't quite yet put into action? My guess is that um, over the last couple of months, God's spirit has been speaking to you about something. I really should stop and talk to that homeless person that I pass uh, occasionally. Or, wow, we, I wonder where the refugees are that live close to me. Or what, what about, how, how might people be feeling who are from an Islamic background in New South Wales right now? And is there a place that I could connect? Um, there's probably some small um, new step of justice that the Spirit has been inviting you into. And my encouragement to you tonight is go ahead and take the step that the Spirit is being invited, inviting you to take. Does that make sense? I want to close with, um, with a little piece of poetry, spoken word poetry that I wrote a few years back, thinking about this, um, this invitation that we're invited to make to be people of justice, mercy, and love. And, um, and about the awakening that the creator is desiring to bring about in us to care about everything creator cares about. And it goes like this. Lonely highways, dusty fields, flatland, Midwest humidity, my rust-colored AMC matador barrels down the road toward justice, mercy, love. You leave home to Jericho, you roam through fallow fields and winter trees stripped bare, skeleton branches reaching for the air, and they are waiting, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, waiting for the hands that will soothe and heal. And down that road, down that road, down that road, I see the Nazarene embraced as Messiah and Rabbi King. I see our desperation for substance become living abundance, loosening the chains of injustice, breaking the yoke of oppression, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, welcoming the weak, and we will no longer turn away from our own flesh and blood. We will be called repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. Yes, the road ahead, brothers and sisters, for you and for me and for us together, is a road toward justice, mercy, love. Amen? Thank you.